0: Welcome to Sound & Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host
1: of Sound & Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound & Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Rochelle Feinstein is an artist who was born in the Bronx and grew up in Queens, New York City. She's exhibited her works nationally and internationally and has written about art and artists. A collection of selected writings, Please Reply, was published by Ugly Duckling Press in 2019. Rochelle's four concurrent retrospectives from 2016 to 2019 were presented and respectively titled at these venues. In anticipation of Women's History Month, the Center of Contemporary Art in Geneva, I Made a Terrible Mistake at the Lenbach House in Munich, Make It Behave at Kestner gelschaft in Hanover, Delaware, and image of an image in the Bronx Museum of Arts in New York City. Recent solo exhibitions include Rainbow Room, The Year in Hate at Campoli Presti in London, and Fredonia at Nina Johnson Gallery in Miami. Her works are represented in numerous public and private collections and have been featured in numerous publications. She's been awarded fellowships and grants from Anonymous Was a Woman, the John Simon Guggenheim Memorial Fellowship, the Foundation for Contemporary Arts, the Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study, the Lewis Comfort Tiffany Foundation, and the Joan Mitchell Foundation. She was a recipient of the 2017-2018 Rome Prize at the American Academy in Rome. In 2017, Rochelle became a Merida Professor of Painting and Printmaking at Yale School of Art at Yale University. Her work has been covered in the New York Times, the Brooklyn Rail Art Forum, Time Out New York, and the New Yorker, Art Info, and many others. I spoke with Rochelle about a tough childhood, finding escape through museums and Broadway, flexibility in the artistic approach to making, teaching, salsa dancing, and much more. Here's our conversation.
2: install a show and I just had right. to and that, that was it and uh, it was before the new variant but nonetheless uh, what I noticed in Miami uh, is that uh, we I was there for one night two nights two nights yeah we would try to go to a restaurant and you open kitchen and, and like the chefs weren't wearing masks saying hi I was like
1: <laughs> yeah she said no one was wearing masks really exactly I don't understand I don't know It's still baffling to me Well, let me keep um, this
2: thing in here Okay so,
1: so yeah, we're just, you know It's well, weird circumstances And I've started teaching this week And, you know, doing everything on the fly But, you know, you make it, you make it work you Yeah,
2: you can. well, we're, we're, all, we're all in the same place So, yeah
1: Yeah, collectively Well, yesterday felt good, I will say
2: to see people and to do what you do, it's really it is good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it was just like a breath <coughs> of fresh air yesterday. I felt like there hasn't been positivity or any inflection of positivity for I know years. So just the perception that something could be positive, wow. or that that you know there are people out there doing positive things in light of all the the sort of chaos It was just yeah. nice to see that and kind of. Be reminded that you know that's not all. You know, people climbing fences and breaking glass and all that stuff. No,
2: and I was so at the end of the day. I mean, I didn't watch the celebration. i had already uh, enough. I had to like yeah. go on the fainting couch. I was just the whole, all the emotion. It was too much. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, I watched the, uh, the the press conference. Yeah, and I was so relieved to, to that as a real signal of how communication can go back to something normal. Right. You know, with the press. And so that encouraged me so much.
1: Definitely. Yeah, just, I watched, I was kind of in and out of it working in the studio, and then I popped out at one point and saw on the TV that it was, I think, like 7.15 p.m., and they were doing a press conference, like from the press briefing, and I was like, wow, I didn't, for the past four years, it felt like politics stopped at 4 p.m., you know, <laughs> if they even went that long. Right. And to see someone articulate and to be able to, I don't know, have some sort of informed opinion on something was refreshing.
2: Yeah, and she said it's not going to be like we won't meet at 7 o'clock every day, but we just wanted to begin today <laughs> Right. in the evening.
1: Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I don't want to, sorry to start everything off on a heavy note.
2: No, it's hopefully going to be a lighter one, so
1: yeah, yeah. so you had a show when did your show open?
2: Um, it, it opened uh, November 19th, I guess Sure <clears throat> so I went down there just for you know two day install, and right. it closed uh, I don't know January ninth, I'm guessing.
1: How long? I, don't <laughs> I mean I don't yeah, right, it's all a whole little <laughs> I don't know. Uh,
2: yeah I'm um, no it, but I'm very happy I went I, I did the work uh, all within it was at Nina Johnson Gallery and we worked together a few years ago once before so she got in touch with me I know her I know the space and she said do you think we could do something And she emailed me and and I've been and I said yes and so I did the whole show in like three months and coming to the studio, which is where I am now, in Long Island City. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like, completely crazed the whole time. But I really, it, it kept me going in a way that, you know, I, nothing yeah. else could. And the building had been locked down for two months. So, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm really glad that I did it. And good stuff is going on. And so, like, I'm working as if there's a future.
1: <laughs> That's all you can do, right? Well, yeah, but
2: I have a much shorter window of a future than than people your own age. Not to be patronizing, but you know, it's. Uh, I mean, it, it, the picture is entirely different. You know, like, what is this, whatever? You know, mortality. No, I, I get it. There's a range I, I mean, of mortality I, issues. You know, so right. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I definitely feel. I realize like it's it's a it's a curve, but I definitely feel, you know, when I hit my mid forties that a little different than when I was 22 in school. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like you start to get a little bit of perspective on like, wait, what is this, what is this <clears> cycle? <throat> like, what are we doing? What does it all mean? And yeah. 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 So yeah. But, but doing these conversations has been great for that too, because yeah. they, they recalibrate, you know, your, yeah. what you're thinking is the, the directive of everything. You
2: know? I haven't listened to any of the podcasts, I confess, because I just don't. I
1: love that. <laughs> I, no, no, I love that because a lot of times, to be honest, you know, I'm almost at 250 now, and I feel wow. like a lot of people have heard them. So yeah. it's great when people have no expectations and have no idea what is going to happen because... Nothing. Otherwise, there, there are no expectations.
2: <laughs> no, and we haven't spoken in like a million years, so...
1: I <laughs> know. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally, i like to... What i like to do is just talk about, you know the beginnings of, cause a lot of times I don't know. I mean, you know, I met you first when I was a student yeah. and knew the work. And you know, it's funny when you go to graduate school, I think different than other circumstances, the professors that you meet in the, the arena and the, the vibe of the place it comes with a lot of like prepackaged conceptions of, and you know, and opinions of other people like, Oh, it's going to be like this. It's going to be like that. You're going to meet this personality. They're going to tell you this and that. So <laughs> I don't know, but we never are privy to the backstory or delving into the past, you know? What was your childhood like? Where did you grow up?
2: Oh, my God. That really goes way yeah. back.
1: Let's go to the beginning.
2: Ah. Uh, um, well, I was born in the Bronx and grew up in Queens. Okay. Moved to Queens when I was an infant, so I barely spent any time in the Bronx at all and I grew up in a, in a very um, uh, difficult uh, family situation, so I kind of um, it was it was very unusual'll put it that way and i don 't know that yeah. you know in terms of details, everybody has a backstory, um, right. and I think that i I'm I'm someone that really, whatever the backstory is for me, I think it kind of formed who I am as an artist, and so it it sort of it. I wasn't somebody who, I always knew I'd be an artist. I was not. I didn't have permission to be an artist, and in fact, it was such a, a strange and estranged family situation, which was very lower middle class, barely working class. um <clears throat> Uh, uh, my father didn't believe that um, uh, girls should go to college, for example.
1: There's an uphill battle right there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that really, you can imagine uh, yeah. what it might be like, maybe. Uh, imagine yourself a, a little girl uh, you know, who's intelligent and gregarious and really not just supposed to not do anything.
1: Right. So Yeah, those doors weren't open to you as an option from an early age. Not but at a lot all. of people I think a lot of people who grow up because you grew up in the city, a lot of people who didn't grow up in the city mm. their environment is specific and well, everyone's environment is specific. Yeah. But in relation to creativity, there's not the sort of environment of creativity that's tangential to growing up that you just bump into as much probably as in New York city. So if you grow up in a farm in Iowa, you might look for parents or family members who do some yeah. sort of craft or who paint right. in their garage or something right. It's licensed to be a creative individual. Right. And that's something you could actually pursue. But in New York city, I think it's a little more in the air yeah. that this is something that happens and you can actually do it.
2: Yeah. If you can, cause I mean, I, I know, you know, very early on when I started, I wouldn't even call this teaching workshops, you know, I was still in college <coughs> and, uh, I realized that there were people in Brooklyn that had not been to Manhattan. And that is sort of, I think, one of the things about my weird familial situation is that since nobody cared, I was able to get out as my go, you know, like, so I could take the subway by myself at 10 years old. And, I mean, walking into the Museum of Modern Art by yourself, uh, you know, there is that I, was able, I knew enough to, to be able to do that, or I knew enough uh, as a 12 year old to be a truant, to, to cut out of school and go to Broadway and in between the first and second acts and the intermission matinees on Wednesdays, we'd, we'd I'd go with a friend and we'd just take the subway and we knew the color of the ticket. And so we'd sneak in for every second act and, you know I mean all that stuff I mean but also I mean my uncle was a bouncer at what used to be the Metropole which was a jazz club on Broadway in 47th oh, yeah. and so yeah. like he babysat for me by putting me on sitting me on the bar and so I nice. had a I had a really bizarre family background my grandparents lived in the Chelsea Hotel and not because they were eccentric or artistic but my grandfather worked in the garage across the street <laughs> <This location. laughs> on 23rd Street. <laughs> I am so working class, really. <laughs> and so, and so um, I, I would spend um, a great deal of my time in there, one room with a hot plate. And so, but I also had a little tricycle there. I mean, I Virgil Thompson was living upstairs, you know, but I was a kid. So through the misfortune or the uh, the misanthropic kind of childhood that I really had I was able to get access and fortunately the New York City s- educational system at that time was good enough to to offer you know an out so an escape
1: right yeah so, where did you go to school i mean you were based in queens right yeah yeah, basically. Did you Queens. go to public school where uh-huh. you were?
2: <clears throat> yeah, I went to public school. We moved around a little bit, but you know, even in Queens. But my mother was institutionalized, so um so it was a really rough rough life. And uh so I, I, I went for her more than anybody. Um so yeah, I went to Martin Van Buren High School. Uh a lot of weird weird stuff. It was a neighborhood interestingly I found out later. You know David Diao's work or David Diao. Do you know yeah.
0: him? Yeah.
2: David and I grew up in the same neighborhood. He's older than I am, but we grew up in the same neighborhood because it was a post war GI Bill neighborhood. And so it was all this, you know, federal money that gave GI loans and they did buildings and all this stuff. So it, it was it became a neighborhood or an area which <coughs> Had an unusually um, diverse population. of um, It was Italian, Irish, Jews, Blacks, um, uh, Chinese, uh, Korean. It was just really bizarre. I mean, so it was because
1: at that time weren't most uh, a lot of the neighborhoods were kind of segregated by ethnicity, right? Yes, they were. So even New York's a melting pot, but then you had you know. You would have your different areas of like ethnic groups, and then the borders were where those meet, but it was pretty uh-huh. segregated.
2: Yeah. Well, where did you grow up?
1: In Pittsburgh. Wow. Pre- pretty white, working class where I was from. Yeah. <laughs> where I was from a part of the city, but it was, you know, not a lot of money. But, right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there was a little more mingling there, I think. Uh, well, I don't know what New York was like at that time, but, yeah, it's just you know it seems like that was a little less common then whereas now you know it's a little more you have pockets everywhere of different people throughout the city you and do you do but it's
2: still else. i think it's actually um i mean i mean i cuz i grew up in the 50s you know like you know grade school um so yeah. it it really it it was very much segregated I mean in most parts of the city because of white flight I uh, mean you know, there's a whole history of Robert Moses and uh, you know how the city was destroyed and really cr- these other pockets were you know, created but um, I mean I spent a good deal of time in the Bronx uh, my father uh, remarried and my stepmother uh, lived in the Bronx she went to she graduated from Cooper Union in 19 19- 39 or something so bizarre isn't that weird
1: when did cooper union start
2: oh it started in the 19th century oh my goodness yeah (laughs) it's been around (laughs) it has been around i live down the street from cooper union now so uh but i you know i would go back to the bronx quite frequently and she taught junior high school there and so i would go sometimes and sit in in her class she taught weaving uh and she had huge looms and uh still existed then in New York City, but but her her class was all African-American. They were no, at that point, and they never moved. I mean, they didn't move until my father got ill. So they were living, basically, as what was formerly a, a real Jewish neighborhood, very Hamisha, and yeah. uh, and then right. it, it turned over uh, because of white flight. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: So w- when you were growing up, I mean, you're having these moments of, like, escaping into a museum or you know dodging out into these uh uh, broadway play you know places of creativity when did it start to turn the light on in you of something that was a possibility or something you were interested in outside of just you know (laughs) checking it out
2: well i you know i I, I, it it took uh an unusual route because i'm not when when I've, i've often been with people who when they're asked this question like when did, when did something take root in you that made you feel you could be an artist and, I, and people sometimes say I always knew I was an artist I never knew I was an artist <laughs> ever <laughs> yeah. and it took going through a number of steps until I realized that this was the thing that I didn't know about that I wanted to know about right it sounds odd but um i was not allowed to go to college i, I didn't go to school like i graduated high school with a i was pulled out of an academic program from which i was doing fairly well and put in a secretarial program <laughs> so I, jeez you had no idea brian <laughs> i
1: thought vocational schools were bad it's uh, like here's the 10 things you can do but this How about secretaries yeah school? but this
2: was in a, a high achieving academic high school at the time. Right. And I was put into this secretarial with, with the machines that made clickety-clack noises. You can imagine yeah. a room full of... <laughs> <laughs> and, and these were the people who you know were not going to go to college. They were called business right. majors. So my father thought I would go and earn money. And so they were probably the most miserable, well, among the most miserable years of my life. So I never thought... I'd be an artist, but I was always kind of cool, you know. I mean, I even though I was there, I I had an independent streak, and so I really struggled. I, the day after high school, um, of all places, you probably know about this institution. The day after graduating high school with my business degree, I started a new job as a typist at TIAA-Cref. <laughs>
1: Well, that was foresight. Do
2: I have one of the weirdest <laughs> stories you've heard in 2,500 interviews?
1: <laughs> this will rank up there. Yeah. <laughs> I get the feeling, too, I'm not getting all the gritty details either. <laughs> no, <you're not. laughs>
2: hardly, hardly. No, so, I mean, I, you know, and I, and I decided that I would go to school at night. So yeah. I did those things simultaneously. So I, I'm skipping a lot, but I basically, I, I, one thing I could never do was math. Uh, so I, I after high school, I enrolled at Hunter College, and I took yes. calculus and trigonometry at night while I was typing during the day, and I was an utter failure oh at gosh. those things, <laughs> but I could type <laughs> and, and so I switched and I, 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 I always liked to draw, um, and m- my family, who would always say, "Oh, you can draw, you can go get be a." Work in fashion, you know. They were always kind of pushing me into something. So I started going to FIT at night, taking courses, and I ended up doing that for six years while I worked a full-time job.
1: Did you enjoy that?
2: Oh, FIT, I loved it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, it was tiny then. It was just like two buildings, but I started um, taking. This is really kind of an amazing. It's really weird how life happens. I started taking pattern making or something, and I I, because I'm so bad at math, I'm like a math dummy, and uh, I I just couldn't deal with it. But I I began also taking two courses. I took actually I was in school four nights a week from six o'clock until ten p.m. I was also married, by the way, and so that's a
1: lot on your plate.
2: (laughs) Why not? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, sure.
2: You know when There's you're no young internet. when you're young you don't you know yeah. okay, you know, I'm not gonna stay at this job eight you know, eight hours a day and do nothing. And right. um and my then husband was uh he was still in school. Anyway. I was married I was quite young. So um uh, anyway, so I took a I started taking uh, fashion illustration courses. And this woman, she was, she's quite well known in the fashion illustration industry. Uh, and so I took a drawing course with her, which was two nights a week. One night was pure anatomy. And we had like, you know, I know the origin, insertion, and action of every muscle in your body. I mean, I mean she was so tough. So yeah. I took anatomy for one night. And the second part of the drawing class was fashion illustration, working with live models. And so it became life drawing without the nude model. It was aimed towards something else. And the second course I took was called art history. And this is the other unusual part of this. Uh, and this is how I figured out I could be an artist. Get back to your question. Um, I was really no good at fashion illustration, but I was determined, because this woman, I I wanted her to recognize me. I I really, you know when you need recognition? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you respected her, right? I sure did.
2: I sure did. Uh, So the the name of the uh, art history teacher uh, was (laughs) Miss Heaton Sessions, with a hyphen in between. And I, (laughs) Heaton Sessions. Really? She was British, yeah. Wow. And, uh, and I thought I was going to get assigned the standard Janssen or Gardner textbook. And the right. book that she assigned us, which is such an amazing, amazing, I mean, I was so lucky, was um, Margaret Yorsonara's Memoirs of Hadrian. And that was our Art History 101 book.
1: Well, wow, it's a deep cut for 101.
2: That was it. <laughs> and it was like an opening up a world of, 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 of culture, society, politics, everything. Sexuality, I mean, it, it just was like, and so I realized through, and she showed us slides and everything was so based upon uh, this kind of uh, uh, Adriano and on you know, and, and Hadrian and this kind of docu-fiction which she was known for. It's an extraordinary book if you've never read it. And I had this realization that art which I've been looking at myself in the Met and MoMA, um, you know my father had an affair with an artist so I remember going to an opening at you know some opening of whatever her name was and you know I mean I knew that art existed but in the context of reading the memoirs of Hadrian I realized that art represented culture. It was a representation of of a time of a culture, it it meant something, just as if you know, um, uh, kind of uh, architecture was, or I mean, it was it was just an amazing realization for me. And then I started really thinking, yeah, I think art is really interesting, and this is something I want to know so much more about. So that kind of, I think I was maybe, I don't know, nineteen or something. That opened yeah. a door to feeling something about art that I hadn't felt before in, right. in, a, in a one-to-one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, those, you know, different people have in so many different ways, but that kind of light bulb moment or that, you know, the switch gets turned on and sometimes it's someone just saying that you're good at it or, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's a, this greater realization of, it's a sort of heightened understanding of what life means or what creating could do that kind of just compels you to want to make, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah. I think that's the that's the switch. It doesn't always get turned on in people and it's actually probably good if some people don't turn that switch on. Yeah. <laughs> I, but uh you know, that's that's yeah. the thing that happens, you know, it's 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 not always boiled down to a moment, but it's that sort of greater push yeah. to ask more questions.
2: Yeah. It was really a, a to to Discover what could be done in, in a sense, and I mean, I, you know, honestly, the first modern painting I ever recall seeing is when MoMA, it, the, the staircase still exists. You just used to enter the building, and you go to go to the second floor, you go up this, uh, this stairway, this kind of beautifully curved stairway within this yeah. building, which is not curved. And you'd hit the second floor, and it, as you came up the stairs, the demoiselle was facing you. And it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, and you know, I, But I didn't really know anything about it, of course, and how could I? I mean, there's a wall label, but, and I wasn't really ready to even think about that until later, until much later. And I think right. often that, you know, you, you mentioned something about... Um, you know, either being being you know, somebody says you have something or you're recognized. I was the person who was not recognized as having any talent. And the people I was in school with that had the talent, that did the yearbook, you know, all the drawings in the yearbook and the blah 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 they didn't go anywhere because I think right. that they were there was a fear of of not being acknowledged. And I think for me, not being acknowledged made me want to be acknowledged.
1: Yeah, I, I think I have lockstep with you. I always say really? that I've, I had the advantage of being unencumbered by talent. Yes. So I had to just kind of like make, make what I, I'm sort of taking in from the world and, and, and sort of reflect. I mean, I'm from Pittsburgh. I do have a little <clears throat> bit of that Warholian kind of like um, tendency to feel like well I'm not that interesting but the world's interesting and maybe the way I can funnel it will be you know that and it's not my talent that's going to like I think like I had a friend in high school who was really great at drawing like you know heavy metal album covers and it looked kind of realistic just like the thing and there was all that pressure like oh you're really good at it I never had that like my teacher was showing me like Jackson (laughs) Pollock and I was like yeah I can get into that like that's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there was a sort of existential connection I had with a uh, you know uh not having to rely on you know proficiency as some sort of metric you know that yeah. that op- that sometimes can open you up just in the same way that you know you know someone who's just really really gifted at a musical instrument you know it's hard for them to go the Ramones route you know it's just there it, I think there's a calibration that happens yeah. that um well there, there is not, bur- there, there is the
2: burden of being the prodigy, i mean it's yeah yeah
1: totally yeah. yeah i think it's it's sometimes it's a gift to to be not the you know the one everyone's looking at
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> flying
1: under the radar yeah
2: in a way. then there's the problem of how do I get looked at i mean if you you can't get you know if you're too comfortable in that role exactly that's a psychological kind of th- kind of hurdle that you have to get over uh yeah
1: definitely. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's my Sagittarianism, but I definitely have a need for the spotlight even without the talent, <laughs> so I think it balanced out. <laughs> There's enough drive there to compensate for that. <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm Aquarian, so I, I don't know what that means exactly, but I, I didn't. I, I, I think because of my family, I, I basically hid everything. You know. So I was in a, like, oh, right. I, this is something I enjoy doing you can 't know about it because it will immediately be taken away. I mean, it was that kind of childhood you know pretty bad yeah so, well yeah. Not,
1: this is a big this is a big time bridge to leap, but your work is kind of enigmatic though don't you think you're not to to my eyes of what i 've seen of your work yeah. over the years it's it's not a logical sort of um, linear progression of things. It's kind of more about an engagement with a conceptual idea that, that you know, connects with the p- pictorial elements of it, but there's mm-hmm. something, um, you know, it, and it's ballsy too. I think, you, I'm guessing because of your childhood, you've you had to be tough, you had to be independent, you had to be driven, and you had to kind of give a middle finger to this idea that, like, you're only cut out for one thing, now, as an artist you know traditionally, in the scope of like being a an artist that's perceived as accomplishing or or who is you know really working things out, you know you see the the progression or like with Picasso like you can see him move through those genres and all that stuff and then you know with conceptual art, that opened up to where you can just sort of you know. Well, you know what screw that I'm not going to just try to make every show build slightly on the next one I'm just going to be interested in what I'm interested in and that's what I'm going to work within you know and your work always had a little bit of that punk ethos of like mm-hmm. you know what this is this is kind of what's compelling me at the moment material wise and yes. and the aesthetic of it so I, that's been a big question of my ever since you know I first saw your work and then seeing it over time I remember seeing the show at On Stella Rays and being like, I really want to ask her the question of, you know, what is that approach? Is it just, you know, this is what I'm interested in right now. How do you find that material? And, you know, how you, I guess how you got there mm-hmm. mentally, but it sounds like, and I agree with you, a lot of our childhood I think does... Form the way we move through ideas and move through life, our perception of things, and I'm sure your childhood shaped that in some way. I would imagine.
2: Well, you know, I, it, it I'm, I, surely it did, but I mean, certainly my personal life. I think more in my my personal life than in my professional life. I, I think. Yeah. It, I think that's where that had to play out. But I let's go back a bit to to that you know, like uh, this enigmatic quality or making things, you know, of this moment and uh, you know, what am I interested in now or, and, and I, I, that really maybe goes back to memoirs of Adrian of, of having, you know a, a kind of a, a chronicle representation of of a record of a life basically, so but to me the arrival there was not immediate, it wasn't I mean, as a as a Being outside the circle of uh, wherever, New York, uh, the Studio School, the Whitney Independent Program, Yale, uh, CalArts, wherever people were, Pictures Generation, which is sort of my generation, I was not part of any of that because I was working in jobs, right? Right. And you go to night school, this is not your life. And when I decided to go to school to study painting, um... I mean, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know Cooper Union existed as a, as an art school growing up. Yeah. I, that's where my life was, and uh, I I just kind of went to Pratt for two years. I decided I I I had enough. I worked in the fashion industry. I I did a lot. I didn't stay. At, I didn't stay at TIAA Craft very long. I can tell you that. <laughs> so Thank I did a lot of other things, which were very kind of pseudo glamorous, and uh, and and working in the uh, fashion and uh, publishing and all that stuff. Uh, but I, I decided enough of that, and I went to Pratt for two years to get a degree in printmaking because actually I understood the graphic arts, having worked in the industry for so long, as a for me, the, the the logic of it, and you've done printmaking, right? So
0: right.
2: you know that the the approach to printmaking is is conceptually very different. How you how you kind of figure out how you get to the place you're going. Right. It, it has these layers. So I thought oh, I'm going to major in printmaking, but I'm going to learn about painting. But when I what I realized is that the the milieu in New York, uh, as a you know in in, in my mid, late 20s Uh, I had no group I had no peer group and what I had ahead of me were objects and contemporary objects and there were galleries then not a lot but there was enough to see and I had no cohort I had no peers and um, I was very attracted to abstraction because I thought that figuration uh, brought too much uh, emotion with it That it, it, it decided something before That it was like right. There was a pre-coding to it Because I'm a human I'm going to see a human I see a tree I know a tree I wanted to really start From someplace else But the opportunities in abstraction Or the They, they were stylistically still Under the uh, The kind of umbrella Of like Greenbergian Or uh, Rosenbergian uh, hmm, uh, styles and I, ah. I was more interested in Marx than I was in, in in Greenberg and Rosenberg, and I didn't go to the studio school, so I went through a period of really trying to figure out what I could make as a painter, and and I kind of, I guess, started making paintings. Uh, whatever they were about doesn't really matter, but they were thought of as Beautiful. There's a patina, the way... I, I, I really enjoyed paint. And I, I always right. really liked the material, you know, and what it could do. And I hit this point by 1980... I think 87? Because I had been showing... It meant something very different in the 80s, as I'm sure you are aware of. You weren't right, there, but yeah. you know about it. Um, yeah. Where I, I got a review... And it was a now defunct arts magazine which yeah. uh, talked about all these beautiful things in my work beauty, 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 beauty uh, and, and I thought oh this is really bad this is <laughs> really bad <laughs> so what am I doing you know, like, and I looked around at other work and I thought I, I was not satisfied with what I was seeing because then I think that there was a, kind of a I think Bill Jensen was a very, um, you know, uh, highly regarded, and he may still be a very highly regarded painter. But then he was kind of had it, and then there was um, Elizabeth Murray was just, you know, coming to the surface. Um, but you know, and that to me was much more meaningful than what beauty, you know, it's a, yeah. or or a kind of um, a mysterious shape, kind of weird thing that had all this labor intensivity, you know, as a kind of a, uh, to prove myself through the labor of painting. I wasn't interested in that, but I was doing it. So I stopped painting for two years and basically worked uh, in landscape. I studied landscape. i was living in Amsterdam a lot. I, I started thinking about what color meant in particular times and I, just a whole bunch of stuff. And when I came back, I made myself a set of rules and one of the rules was not to, make, not to be a serial artist, to leave right. myself the freedom to make this enigmatic thing that you talked about, to give myself the permission, the freedom, to make a rule that every work would be discreet, that every work would be about what it was about. I also decided then to only return to the warp and the weft to paint. Yeah. yeah. To follow the grid, the grid was the only thing because it was also so representative of a kind of a uh, of a kind of remove from the everyday life, aesthetically speaking. So I right. had I had a whole a lot of rules, and so this enigmatic thing you described really uh, was guiding myself to something that I, I didn't know how to make. Yeah, that's well, it. Well, that
1: it, it's funny because that I'm. I mean, I don't know, I wasn't making work at that time and really art conscious then. Yeah. <laughs> but I would imagine that that kind of approach works really well in contemporary, you know, in our day-to-day now. I'm sure at that time it must have been a little more of a, a push, you know, a pushback. Oh, it Not. sucked. <laughs> <It> sucked yeah. <everything. laughs> that's, that's what I was getting at. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it really. Did. Not
1: easy were the two words I was thinking.
2: <laughs> it was really something. I mean, because you know, you start out with like a minimal peer group, you know, uh, really minimal, and they're mostly abstract painters. Um, and, and and I mean, when people would come up, they would say, "Well, why can't you?" And I've said this often before in other talks or whatever. Well, why can't you do like I really like that? Why can't you do ten of those? You know, and and <laughs> I would be like, well, I I could, but it doesn't interest me. Yeah. You know, I really wanted to go to the the day to the day. I really wanted to be what 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 was my day like? What was it like to be out in the world for someone else's day or something overheard? And that's when. Um, uh, words or language, like demotic speech became a really a part of a drive, the drive within the work to make the painting. So that's basically it. It still exists that way, but more yeah. expans- more expansively. I, I think I'm, I'm not as rigid as I was then.
1: Right. Well, I wonder what your opinion is um in this sort of parallel perception that People of a certain generation who grew up in a certain way, which is not this generation, let's say, yeah. um, might say that, well, when I was growing up, certain things were hard and that taught me, you know, there was a, there was kind of a grind to it that taught me something. And some people will say, well, nowadays, things are a little too easy. Everyone gets a trophy, you know what I mean? It's just like, you're not really having to like grind for it. Now, uh, the parallel of that in art, art making, I mean some could say, well, is it a little too easy these days that you can kind of make anything, really? Hmm. Like, you you can work with any material you can make. Right. Like, in those days, like you were saying, that um, gap between, you know, your interest in, in abstraction May not have been acceptable quote unquote to certain critics that are the canon at that point mm-hmm. as being something that 's like you know going to be digested and considered completely. it was just because it didn 't look like the other stuff, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. and that probably teaches you something about or is it does it just suck and nothing is really gained from that? Do you have a f- sort of opinion on the struggle and if yeah. that 's good I think or I do. if that 's just b s
2: no I, I I think it's not i, I think I think that I felt that there was no room for me as a woman artist in abstraction. And I was like, fuck them. You know, I'm, right. making, I'm making a space. Yeah. Whatever that is. And I'm taking that and, you know, with I, you know, a lot of hubris on my part, but I'm taking that. But I think that, that it's, it, it can be an ever-expanding form. In other words, I had enough faith in it to say, this can be expanded. Maybe I can do it, maybe not, but I'm going to make the try. Because I think it had the deepest history of the, the authority. It had the, all the authority of the patriarchy, to put it in right. normative terms. And I said, like my yeah. father saying, I can't go to college. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, really? You know? So I think that I gravitated towards that, um, that struggle to say, this can enter into that field. This yes. can do that. And so right. it wasn't just really about using other materials. It was really, that was maybe part of it, but it was what materials I chose. And right. um, what were the non-painting materials, you know, like latex or... Yeah, Eva Hesse, certainly, I, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm the person that discovered latex or Roplex or any of that, but I wanted to stay strictly within the grid language. Yeah. You know, that as a recognizable form. Um, I love form. I'm a real form person. Uh, but yeah, and so I think now it's, I do know what you mean, like, you know, you can do anything. I mean, I really love when I read um, press releases or read somebody's description of what they do, and it's the kitchen sink. Right. And, and it's almost like that's expected. Yeah. You so and so is a um, works in painting and installation and blah blah blah, and that's fine. Yeah. But in the world I grew up in, you know, for me, I found it very useful to have a, a, basically a wall to to push against.
1: Yeah, I guess that's that's the question. You know, because no one thinks it's a good thing that someone has to fight for their voice or their position. Right. But then do you afterwards, do you think to yourself, the proverbial you, um, do you think to yourself, well, I'm, that made me stronger because I had, you know what I mean? Like, um, I'll give you an exa- a, a bad example, like someone who's preparing for the military to go be a soldier somewhere or something. Yeah. They, boot camp sucks, yeah. but you, it's going to probably prepare you and make you stronger in the fight. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, as an athlete, you know, two a days are awful and running sprints and all that stuff, but it's going to reap some benefits down the line. You're going to be in shape or you're going to be better equipped for those challenges physically. And I just wonder, you know, I guess it's as a teacher and as a parent, Mm -hmm. as thinking Mm -hmm. of the future, if you're not... Having as hard of a time in those challenges if things are sort of, you know, the the expression curling parents. No. It's like we're the generation, like you know, the sport curling, where yeah. the people with the brooms who like yeah,
2: those kettles make,
1: and... Yeah, they make the the path smooth for the uh, the stones. That's what parents do today. Like we make it a smooth path, uh-huh. so no one has any like heart. Kids don't have to deal with, you know, hard time or whatever. I just mm-hmm. wonder if it how it shapes. The drive and the 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 DNA of someone who's going to go okay. into a, a creative life as an artist.
2: Well, I it's I didn't know that term. the Curling parent, and I, I don't know what kind of parent parents you are, <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> and the kinds of you know uh, joy and guilt <laughs> that you <laughs> that you you exert <laughs> uh, right. or you know feel. Uh, but I I. I Think for me, um, I I have always had to know who my enemy was.
0: Right,
2: and I think that I, I just couldn't help it, you know. And it's not like I'm a distrustful person. I'm fairly open, although people say that I'm intimidating, and I think that's just because I have an opinion. I mean, I just right. or. Yeah, you know I, I have a belief and I'm really interested in what people make so I probably I've always thought of myself as better with objects than I am with people yeah I, I kind of I get oh, an object give me an object you know but in terms of being an artist I mean I've always felt and it goes to a childhood thing it goes to being in school where even in college you know the male teachers were snapping my bra strap you were know, mm. you, know, yeah, you know yeah, all that crap you know yeah Yet you go through as a woman, as an artist, at that time. And yeah. hopefully less so now. But I've always had to know my enemy. And in painting, the enemy was the patriarchy. The push. I, I, had, to, I had to know the enemy in order to, yeah. I wouldn't even say infiltrate. And I think right now, in terms of contemporary art now, which is you know, the, the current reckoning that everyone is going through... Uh, of the last few years since Black Lives Matter and then beyond, beyond, beyond. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that the idea of knowing your enemy um, has, has become a, a much more uh, visible... Uh, Definitely. Much visibly expressed. Uh, yeah. Who that is, but not necessarily in negative terms, but in my terms as an abstract painter. Yeah, I did it, yeah. All right, and I think that, you know, whoever, name whoever and Jadeca whoever, working figuratively but in their own way, bringing in their own story. For me, the story is a chronicle. I realize that I'm just a regular person and I I don't need to have a story. I'm interested in a life. You know, just what that is. And I use that expression really a lot, that I'm interested in the chronicle. So the work that I just did in Miami... Yeah. um, I, you know, I, 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 it, the, the show was called Fredonia, uh, which was, A, a, a term uh, used in the uh, early part of the, well, in, in the early 1800s, there was a group, a move among certain people, a very small sect that wanted to rename America Fredonia, because America was the name, the Americas used by the colonialists, by, by right. the English. And yeah. so uh, that failed, but it was about uh, free men right? and, uh, and also is the Hail, Hail, Fredonia of the duck soup of the Marx Brothers uh, film, <laughs> which to right. me it, it is the greatest parody. I mean, I have a clip of it I can send you. And the, 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 the problem for me with, with, with Trump or with the last five years, I'll say not four years, yeah. um, was uh, this... this total loss of anything that resembled truth, fact, governance, democracy. So how do you deal with that? So, uh, so this particular show was really like I, I made it because I knew the election was coming. Uh, I had been working towards that for quite a while. And this work was really all about a painting. It started with a painting I finished in 2019 called Drawn and Quartered. Which is what I thought should happen to him, but it was an abstract painting <laughs> and so and it went from there into like apocalypsos and I mean all that stuff, so I think I lost the subject we were talking about, but um this idea of chronicle, yeah, so right. now that Trump is gone, I have to find a new what 's the next thing i don 't I mean, know
1: yeah well there's i it seems like a long line of issues that are. <laughs> Well, and the wake, to be honest, that we're all going to be swimming in. And pandemics and, you know,
2: society. Well, there's yeah, that. It's, there's yeah. such a,
1: a plethora of, of things to weigh on the mind, you know. Um, well, yeah. It's funny, Fredonia didn't take, and ironically, Freedom Fries didn't really take either. They tried to take it away <laughs> from the French. Yeah. <laughs> remember that after yeah. 9-11 or yeah, was yeah. after 9-11 I, yes, the freedom yes. fry thing
2: yes exactly freedom fries
1: America is, we're such a dichotomy I mean uh-huh. there's some amazing and some amazing in a different way
2: <laughs> well you know we're um, I would say you know there's an expression none the worse for where I think we're the worse for where I think yeah. it's just we really yeah, have reversed think. that um, right. and where we, where, been, where we are now it,
1: it's wearing us down, so to speak, after.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, after after Trump was uh, elected, uh, you know, I, people say, well, would you go do a talk here or there? And I say, or I say, I only want to go to schools and do talks that are minor schools. That they, they, they these are the people that are going to, like, lose the most. Right. Not places like Yale, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it, did, it didn't work out that way, because not so many like, minor places invited me, but I really wanted to go to places where they would have the most reduced access. Right. So.
1: Yeah, well, we should do a, a tour of those places to <laughs> offer it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I Let's come do conversations at these places and, and sort of get the word out, you know? I know. But yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Are you still teaching?
2: Oh yeah. Uh, oh, part time. Okay. Minor, minor, minorly, minorly. Minor,
1: <laughs> fringe on the fringe of. Yeah,
2: teaching. yeah. You know, I, I left because I left Yale in the seventeen, and it, it, I I left on a phased retirement. So it took. Right. It was a big decision. Um, you know, could I do it? But I, I think that for me, teaching and you teach full time. So you you know this. You know, there's a certain point where. The teaching gives you the freedom to do the kind of work you want to do. Right. And and you also are getting something out of the teaching, particularly however long you're doing it. I know when I first started doing it, uh, I had this huge learning curve. I learned so much about what I thought. And right.
1: I think I'm in that right now. But I could see where it might... <laughs> it, like, I've seen people... At the grind long enough to where I think maybe they're just, you know, they're not getting quite what they used to out of it.
2: Yeah. Well, there is that phase. But then there's
1: lifers, I think, people who just love to teach, and it really gives uh, them that energy that, you know, they really feed off of it. Well, I, I
2: I do. I do. But I think you go through. I went through different phases. So, yeah. I think that that latter part that you're, it was my la- there was a middle part where I was like, oh, what the fuck, you know, like I'm just doing this and I just really want to do my work. And at the time, also when I started teaching, when people say, oh, you teach, you know, it was really meant you're not an artist. Oh, so those was, who
1: can those who can't teach. Honestly, and remember, I mean, remember, it was like that those who years. can't teach teach gym. <laughs>
2: My brother, sister-in-law, gym teachers.
1: <laughs> Sorry, that was the expression. <laughs>
2: I know, I know. But So I, I really learned enormously, and I learned how to be responsible. And it was a shock. Yeah. You know, like first time, like, oh, they're going to remember everything I've said. And I was like, I better be really careful. So I've tried not to be cruel. I, I, I tried to be responsible. The second phase, you know, <clears throat> the learning phase, and this is phase where I've had enough, I'm not getting anything. Else. And then when I hit a certain age... And maybe that age was, because I don't have children, I don't know, in my early 50s maybe, I realized that I was very different than my friends, my peers who had children, Um, and that they would say, oh, they're growing up, what are they talking about? I have no idea what they're thinking. And I realized that teaching was this great privilege that I had to have a communication with the generation And I would learn what they were thinking about, and they would learn what I was thinking about. And that was that that latter phase. And I think that I'm still in that phase. When I teach even in a small way, it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, there's a real nice symbiotic kind of relationship there to where it's, it's almost like you're informing the other of something that they just haven't lived through that can really, you know, recalibrate your understanding of just being a person through time yep. that I think is probably I mean maybe this is an advantage of a, of a teacher to say this I think it's probably maybe dangerous in some way to just be in your own world for decades and decades yeah. where you're not relating to that whether that's you know I mean children have a great way of doing that too in and in maybe a slightly more personal humbling way where yeah. you realize that like you know I'm in that phase of teenagerdom where I'm just not cool you know and like everything is irritating yeah, and, and you know, I'm. I think I'm pretty, pretty nice and accommodating. But you know, it's, yeah. you go through those phases that are humbling in a different way. And I think just in the same way of like sometimes when I'm teaching younger students, and you know, I, I'd like to think of myself as being pretty engaged with technology and stuff. But obviously, yeah, to them, they're it's more intuitive. Like they they've been with it longer. So yeah. You know, you make those little gaffes, and it's great. It kind of keeps you in check, you know?
2: Yeah, well, yeah, you you, you are not a digital native, but you were working digitally, I mean, from when I first met you. I mean, you were using technology. That was the beginning. Yeah, that, that was in the beginning. That was in the
1: basement of that yeah. uh, castle or yeah. that dungeon that we were in. Uh, yeah. That was the first time I ever really worked on a computer, yeah. more so than just, you know, checking an email, which was archaic when I was in undergraduate school I mean it barely worked so yeah yeah, that was the beginning of that but that never started in a way that I would thought um, you know I'll be doing animations and I'll be you know making digital work and alongside a painting I just never thought that so it kind of happened organically but yeah it's different stages of your life you know and you 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 can learn a lot from from engaging with people on the other end
2: exactly I I sure am I mean, so I'm I'm doing very little, but I'm I'm at Columbia. I'm a mentor right now, uh, which involves very little. You know, it's like for five days, twice. You know, it's just like I meet with a group twice, yeah. uh, but for five days continuously. Uh, and virtually, it's going to be a challenge. But you know, I want to keep teaching. I taught undergrad term of undergrad painting when we went through big this pandemic started last year yeah. yeah and i want to keep doing it um uh, because i actually think i'm good at it i mean i gotten much better since when you were my student i really got much better at it so uh, yeah. you seem
1: pretty good then no i'm, I'm but, no no i don't
2: think <laughs> so i think i got well, not know better.
1: I, I don't i i would love to say i can remember <laughs> anything from grad school <laughs> 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 i think it's it's all been i have trouble with two weeks ago so, you know, let alone... Like, well, good. You know, then you're being generous. 20 years ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. No, but I do think this, and I don't know if you'll agree with me on this. And I think actually, yeah, I, I do feel like the... Like when I was in undergraduate school, I didn't have any classes. I had a couple critiques, but I didn't have any long-term classes with Julie Heffernan. But she was always working really hard in her office, in her studio, and she was really, obviously, driven and, you know, an amazing artist. Just being around that kinetic energy, I think. Yeah. It, it was a real learning experience, mm-hmm. you know, that that passion of work. Even if it's not delivered to you verbally, one-on-one.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, I think that matters, you know. And I think I read an article, um, I never studied under him, but I do know... Um, Rob Store where he was saying that some of the magic of certain schools is not just the teaching that's going on it's not like the teaching is you know miles and miles away from other professors in some other places it's also the cumulative environment of the energy of the students and the teachers and the visiting people and that that whole you know it's like you know not every band that played at CBGBs was dynamite but there was something about yeah. The energy in that place that created something bigger than you know the sum of its parts. Yeah.
2: Know? Well, I I think that's 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 quite true. Um, I do think that the the major reason to be in, in a graduate program though is to locate a peer group. Yeah. Because that's the group that you that you can trust. It's building right. trust amongst people. It's the first time you're kind of. You know, in this residential community, particularly at Yale. Yale, I have problems with because it, of not because of Yale, but because of the world. And right. uh, you know, it's 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 really like you know, uh, being part of a kind of a the monarchy or something. It's uh, uh, you know, it's ridiculous. And so it, it's there. Teaching there is kind of a problem because people kind of some people as students don't recognize what Rob was talking about. They really, they want, they're there expressly to have a career. And the work changes, and I've seen this so many times where the work doesn't change at all. Yeah. And and it's fine, it gets picked up. It's like, you know. So. It's
1: just like paying for a ticket, basically, instead of.
2: Yeah, and I understand why, you know, the underdog wants to become the overdog. You know, I, I get it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I think it's it, 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 being a teaching artist. One would like to see the adventure of the development of work. I mean, that's yeah. really great when some discoveries happen. is fabulous. Right. When you watch somebody discovering something. Totally.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I coach kids soccer, and I've done that for oh. years, and you you'll get players who come in who are so talented. And they just do their thing, you know. But if you can get a player who comes in who doesn't have that much experience and you see them grow and, like, take that information and those those skills and then yeah. it become even better, I mean, obviously, as a teacher, that's more yeah. uh, fulfilling yeah. in a way, you know. I mean, natural talent and ability is just, it's there, you know. It's yeah. not like they're earning it, really. But, yeah, so I guess, you know, we could fast forward to today and what you're... Yeah. Where are Uh, you in? You're in Long Island City. I have. Have you been there for uh, a long
2: time? I've been in this building for about nine years, and I had I used to be across the hall, and uh, moved to this larger space a year and a half ago, and I have a view of the Empire State Building, the New York skyline, Uh, and it was uh, yeah the night before. The inauguration. Nice. I, I put this on Instagram. The Empire State Building was red and it was beating as a memorial. Unbelievable. I stayed here oh, in the dark the watching heart. this. Yeah. It was just Isn't that astounding. Something? So there's nothing here in my studio now because yeah. everything everything went out to Miami.
1: <laughs> it's all in Miami.
2: Yeah, everything went to Miami <laughs> and and there it is. And um, I'm working on Uh, a few different projects right now and so I'm reorganizing the studio getting ready to uh, to do something very different and yeah and uh, it's a a project that will take me through the next year so
1: nice well um, I want to ask this too Um, when you're working on your work are you a music in the studio person silence interviews radio what do you do
2: it's changed it used to be totally silent, then it was music uh, then it was um, music, and then since Trump, nothing but news oh uh, yeah I, I just and then you want to get out of that cycle uh, even I was in Rome I, I was in Rome at a a, a, a pre de Rome Rome prize thing yeah and and I even there i felt so distant from what was happening that i listened to msnbc like you know all whenever Locks i could. so yeah. yeah so i'm i'm that i i want to get back to listening to music so much i was going
1: to i was going to ask like what does a young lady from the bronx <laughs> growing up in queens <laughs> listen to like what's what's your go to
2: oh i you know yeah i my go to uh world music yeah In general, I mean, it was in general. I mean, I used to be a big. I have a weird, weirder, weird kind of life, but no, I'm a big salsa dancer. I mean, but by but not by courses, but by living. You know, my mother was a dancer and like that. But so I was very much like Latin Latin music, and then um, just just in general uh, world music, just a large general category, and so uh, and knowing not going out to listen to music. You know, it's really unfortunate. Well, you're a big music guy.
1: I do love music, yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I you like You make music, all. too,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I was going to ask you, because when I first moved to the city, my wife, who was then my girlfriend, we would um, go salsa dancing all the time. And there was a place down on Houston Street called the Parkside Lounge, and we would go do Are salsa. Are you kidding me? No, did you used I to had, go there?
2: I had my 60th birthday party there. <laughs>
1: Wasn't that place great? <laughs>
2: uh, group Groupo Latin vibe Friday oh, night. Yeah, that's
1: where we would go. That's when I. Are you sort of kidding? Fell in I didn't see you wife. there. Are, I, are you kidding me? I, I that would have been funny though because that was right oh, after grad God. school. If I saw Rochelle hanging out at the Parkside,
2: they were all my pals.
1: <laughs> that band, the House Band, was so good, and uh, I love them. It was a great time. I
2: love it. I love that band I have they have three records you have their recordings I
1: don't even know the name I just went there and I was infatuated oh. with my wife so I
2: wasn't
1: uh, can. <laughs> that was all I cared about at that point so I get to go uh, a, a,
2: a, a Grupo Latin Vibe oh that's and, right that's right uh, you f- you find them on Spotify yeah they disbanded I think uh, uh, Tito got sick I can't remember what happened but in the East Village every night you could go to a different bar and there'd be a combo there yeah. and go dancing but I used to go, when I was young, I, you know, I, 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 when, I, when, in my, I, when I, I guess when in my 30s, I used to work because I, you know, I taught, started teaching when I was, I guess, 31, 32. So I'd teach, then I'd work in the studio, and at midnight, Roseland used to have Latin night, and I would go from the studio to Roseland, which is no longer existing, yeah. and I would go dancing. I loved dancing with strangers. And so are you a good salsa dancer
1: no, i just got I got by i mean i could <laughs> yeah. I could do the basics. I have good rhythm, okay. but i 'm not a great you know i wasn 't exceptional oh. but i didn 't no but the I rhythm is le- good I didn't learn it as long as you have the yeah. rhythm, I think that 's the the key
2: well, you know' suppose now everybody does you know on on one, not on two, but i don 't like it anymore because it 's all lesson people i mean when up until two years ago right uh, two things one is that um, Lessons became very popular, so it was less social experience. Uh, people danced with each other, yeah. they knew each other from classes and they go out in groups. It was very young, and I'm not young. Um, but I knew all my neighborhood people. And interestingly enough, uh, you know, I live on 6th Street, down the street from Cooper Union.
0: Right, yeah.
2: And the, the Standard Hotel in Cooper, so I'm on that street. and. In, in the spring, right after lockdown, this five-piece combo came out right there where Cooper Square is. And they played in the street. They called themselves uh, the, the, the Quartet, uh, the Pandemic Quartet, whatever. Yeah. And they just played and people would come and dance in the street.
1: Oh, it's so nice. It's great.
2: I know, it was great. It was so great. And I'd see some old friends there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You probably don't know this, but when I was at Yale, me and a bunch of friends were in a Latin jazz, like a, a bastardized version of Latin jazz, a band that we used to play at Rudy's all the time.
2: Had no idea.
1: I believe Sam Messer caught us there a couple of times, maybe. But The worst
2: dancer ever.
1: Oh, uh, I never saw him dance. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> But he yeah. knows I say that. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. We used to play at the Gypsy, no, I, too, no. that graduate. Oh, uh, yeah, whatever I like the Gypsy. Was. Yeah, so yeah. we would, uh, you know, we had our other band, but then we would also play Latin jazz and have some. What was it. your instrument? Uh, in the Latin jazz band, I played saxophone, bass, or mainly saxophone and uh, guitar.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: But those were fun times. I mean, we would, we would play some pretty, you know, intense gigs people dancing on tables and going crazy and there was an architectural graduate student who was so into mojitos that we'd drive to the Bronx and buy (laughs) giant fresh batches of mint for cheap and then bring them back up to make mojitos for the I wish I had
2: known about that but not having lived in New Haven ever I really didn't know what was going on
1: yeah but I tell
2: you very yeah funnily Sam called me one night when I was teaching and at the end of like late I finished like a night you know taught like whatever it ended at 930 and he said where are you come over I forget which dorm it was remember Robert Ferris Thompson of course and I say Master T come right now because he brought somebody from New York this amazing salsa dancer from New York and everybody's dancing and so I found my way to the, the residential dorm whatever and I went in, and there was what's-his-name that I would dance with in New York. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> small world.
2: <laughs> it was a very small world. It was really funny. I forget his name, but he's an amazing dancer. And so, yeah, I don't know. So I want to get back and listen. I do listen to Latin music. I'm not big into reggaeton very much, but a yeah. little bit. Yeah, so that's that's it. So maybe today I can listen to music. Yeah, Put on know.
1: like, you know, El Timbal, like the old Tito, the good stuff. You know, oh, God. dance mania, oh, uh, crank that up.
2: Oh, I have I have all that on there. Like salsa nation, I got it.
1: Oh yeah, it's, <laughs> it's good like, stuff. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: See, I learned something. I had no idea.
2: Ah, oh, you also boxed. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah.
1: That I could see.
2: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: Somehow that well, makes more yeah. sense. Well
2: we all have well, I didn't know you played so many instruments. I had I didn't know you salsa dance. I had no idea you knew about Parkside Lounge.
1: <laughs> the Parkside Lounge, yeah.
2: I had a blowout. I, a former former boyfriend of mine is a DJ, he's a fabulous DJ, and he's Nigerian. And uh, so Fumi came and he, he DJed the night away and he, he uh, most of my birthdays yeah, he do that. Nice. Yes. Yeah.
1: Oh that's great. Well, um... Life used so to be fun. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> when we could go out. Boy, did we take that for granted, you know? Going out to see yeah. people and listen to live music. Well, hopefully... And look at art. So do you,
2: have, you, have you gotten out to look at any art at all? Or it's just not...
1: Not as much right as I usually do, but I would take a couple trips here now. I mean, I curated a show at the gallery that represents me at Miles McHenry... Um, it was a big group show. And, and so I went in and helped install that and, but I didn't, there was no opening, you know, and I would peek in at a couple shows, but not like the normal, you know, once a month, just walking around all day, checking things out. It's been a yeah. little more destination. Like I got to go see that show. Um, so I can't wait for that to be back. And for me you know, too, I mean, there's yeah. a little hope here, you know what I mean? So, yeah.
2: well, hopefully autonomy. And, yeah. I got my first shot. So I'm, I have dose one now.
1: Yeah, that's great.
2: And yeah, and I get the second one on my 74th birthday. <laughs> that's
1: perfect. And then two weeks later and you can salsa dance the night away.
2: <laughs> well, by myself. With a mask, of course, responsibly. <laughs> I
0: don't know about
2: that.
1: No, I, but I just know. the feeling, you know, the feeling that we're edging towards maybe starting to you know, get closer to a normalcy. Is, is I, I, I agree.
2: I agree. Well, autonomy. I mean, that's the thing that is gone. It, it's, it's, forget even intimacy. It's autonomy. Yes. It, 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 oh. Well, our friends of mine in Europe, they're just going through their next, their third lockdowns. Mm. And, uh, yeah.
1: I can't wait for the spring. A little sunlight, you know. I know. Um, well, well, it was great talking to you. Thanks so much this for is taking great. this time. This is great.
2: Thank you so much, Brian. Maybe I, you may, know,
1: I maybe one day, like when this all, you know, we could do studio. We can have visits. dinner. Yeah, dinner. Oh, dinner. <laughs> studio visits. <laughs> yeah. well, thank you. Well,
2: thank you for inviting me to do it. It was really fun talking to you.
1: Likewise, I've, I've been looking forward. I mean, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. So I'm glad we finally made it happen. Thanks for doing yeah. it. is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred, many thanks to Brigitte for the intro outro music, Michael Lovett for the introduction, many thanks to Rochelle for sitting down to talk to me, make sure you check out her work, you can check out her website, Rochelle Blinstein, and you can follow her on Instagram, many thanks to Golden Artist Colors. For their sponsorship, stranger, make sure you check out their so Flat Colors we'll and all their products, Wingsburg Oils, Core Watercolors, we'll find it pray. at the art store near you. Come Please leave a rated review on iTunes, it really helps out. And uh, feel free to spread the word about the podcast to anyone you think might hear these artists and uh, enjoy hearing their story. And most of all, many thanks to you for listening. i yeah,